We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of... Isn't that good? 1776, that was the declaration made in the birth of our nation. A nation that stands apart from other countries in the world. Because people were willing to leave tyranny and oppression to seek religious freedom in uncharted territory. It happened during the time of the Great Awakening, which was a spiritual revival, where there was a, there was a renewed proclamation about the good news of Jesus Christ. The Great Awakening confronted the religious rituals and empty teachings that had come from long established denominations. And so they struck out on their own. We sit here today enjoying the liberty and the freedom that has cost the lives of thousands. That's what we celebrated and recognized over Memorial Weekend. It's why we can sit here today and openly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It's come at a great cost. But isn't it good to be in a land where people are created and seen equally and we can pursue three things, life, liberty, and happiness. It's a shadow of what perhaps the very first two people ever created experienced. Life with God unhindered. Walking with God. Talking with God. Being known by Him and to know Him personally. But something happened within them, didn't it? Even though they enjoyed this tremendous reality, this true life and freedom, they turned away from the happiness that was found in God to find something of their own creation, their own making. And they found that it was a trap. And it cost them their very souls. They turned away from the life and the liberty and the happiness that God had for them, that they were designed for. And they turned to something that ended up being false. We have a danger in our human condition to place our personal happiness over that of our hope, a true and living hope in God Himself. We've been doing that since the garden. Every civilization has sought after something of their own design, their own making to fulfill their dreams and their desires. The Romans fell in this camp with the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. But it didn't last. Caesar ended up a salad. 
He had to have been wondering, how did I end up here? <laughs> that can be our very same question when, when we know that how we began with Christ isn't where we're at right now. Perhaps when you began with Christ, it came out of a moment of great difficulty, crisis maybe, and you found new life. But then over time, instead of keeping Christ the center point of the focus of your life, it's moved to something of your own making that's leaving you wanting. And that is the trap of happiness. Happiness is shifty. It is slippery. It is circumstantial. To coin a word from the 1950s, it's hinky. It's unreliable. Just when you think you've placed happiness in possessions, they break down. Just when you think you've placed happiness in a person, they break your heart. And you're just going, oh. Until you find the next thing and then whoop. So we need help in our condition and the people of God should be the people in all the world that should get it right. But often we don't. We're very much like the people of Israel. I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Amos. We're going to be in the book of Amos. We're actually beginning a series through the Old Testament prophets for the next six weeks. So we're going to start with one of my favorites, Amos. It's okay. Take the time to find Amos. Blow the dust off. Amos chapter 5. We turn here because of the center point of this nine-chapter book, is chapter 5. And in the center of of Amos chapter 5 is a set of verses that are the point of the entire book. It's a restatement of this truth that true hope is found in God Himself and in nowhere else. So let's take a look at this passage. Now, this passage is structured in a very unique way. It's a, it's a way that the biblical authors, they used literary devices, literary tools to help people understand something that was being taught verbally. They didn't have copies of the scriptures so that you could have at your set and you could have your set. They had to use speaking devices that people could not miss the point. Look how this passage is laid out. It's laid out in a parallel fashion where what begins the passage, what ends it is linked. And we have the judgment of Israel. Israel is judged. They're told that they will go away into exile. And the passage moves closer to the center point where there's a call to seek the Lord that they might live. Come away from the things that you have placed your hope in that are false and hinky. Seek the Lord that you may live. You must do this because you're being judged for sin in your life. Israel had deep sin. But then it moves it to the focal point. And this will be the focus of our passage. The Lord is His name. That's the highlight 
Everything else kind of fades back. The center point of the book of Amos is a reminder, a call to God's people who they worship. And it's the Lord. That's his name. Look at look with me. Verses eight and nine in Amos chapter five. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. If you want to sound intelligent about the book of Amos, you can say, well, it's it's a book that's a message of judgment against God's people that reminds them that the Lord is their God. Oh, wow, you really know your Bible. It's pretty simple because Amos draws it to that center point. Folks, our true hope is found in God himself. We are easily pulled and distracted by other pursuits of our hearts that take us off track. This book and this passage talks about the God of creation. The one who set the stars in their place. The one who, who established how water works in our world. How some waters gather and other waters are lifted up and some waters poured out. So things grow. He's the one who will share his glory with no other and will stand in judgment and will destroy and tear down anything that would set itself up against him. That is why civilizations rise and fall. Right now in North Korea is a dictator who is pressing an ideology called Juche. And it literally means, I kid you not, self-reliance. We don't need to be able to know the future to know that that will not last. And the leaders of that country someday eating bowls of Caesar salad will say, how did we end up here? (laughs) Self-reliance will not work. Do you know everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus himself? He says that Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms all are written to testify about him. As we make God our our pursuit, we find that it is through Jesus Christ that we find him, the Son of God, co-equal with God. So we need to seek him because Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So for these six weeks, as we pour through the prophets, we're going to be be linking them to Christ. And most of the messages we'll teach will be how. How do we maintain this hope? But today is about why. Everyone should seek Jesus as their true hope because of two life-giving truths. Every one of us should be seeking Jesus as the answer for our heart and our hope. 
Because God has made two truths evident in Christ. I want to share those with you. The first life-giving truth is that constant joy is greater than hinky happiness. I want to take us back into the section that talked about Israel's sin. So that uses verse 7 and verse 11 from Amos 5. Verse 7 says this, O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. Verse 11 says, Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. God had had enough of their injustice. The book of Amos was was written at a time, this message was given at a time of tremendous prosperity for the kingdom of Israel. Now remember, in biblical history, Israel used to be one nation, much like Korea. But because of the division of a kingdom, there was an imaginary line of, of division between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Amos was a businessman from Judah in the south. And God called him to set his business aside for one year to go into the north to proclaim a judgment against them. How would you like to do that? How would you like to leave South Korea, move into Pyongyang, and preach a message of judgment with a crazy dictator on the loose? That was Jeroboam II. But Israel had never been so prosperous. Their borders had never expanded so far north. They controlled all the trade routes and wealth flowed in and they became drunk on their wealth and their power. So much so that they began to to say, we need more of this even from our own people. So here's what they would do. People had land and livestock. And so to increase your wealth, you simply needed to increase your land. So let's say I show up to the Renalo farm. And I come up to the Renalos at night. And I just start moving their boundary a little bit smaller, making my land a little bit bigger. They wake up and they go, something's changed. So they go to the city gate. The city gate is where you heard all the cases the lawsuits happened in the city gate. And so the Ronaldo family, they come and they go, hey, it's not fair. That Hinkle came and he did something hinky and he moved our, he moved our boundary and it isn't fair. But when they showed up to the city gate, all the officials were already paid off. And so they ruled in the favor of the rich. So the rich got richer, the poor got poorer, and the middle class went away. And God had had enough. And he took all their possessions away from them. They used their wealth to build houses for themselves. To create cable channels devoted strictly to home design. (laughs) Amy and I, we had a house here. And... uh, We wanted to put new flooring in it, you know, that frisee carpet that you can dig your toes in, you know. And so we did that and we changed out some other flooring and then we ended up selling our house because actually something that we actually preferred more, but we didn't make enough in the exchange to finish paying off the carpet. And that bothered me so much. I was living in in my own home, but somebody else was walking on my carpet. 
that I was still funding. That carpet was going to make us so happy. Until it became someone else's and I had to still pay for it. And Look, happiness is a trap. If that is going to be the pursuit of your life, you will be chasing people and things and living life unfulfilled. But if Christ is your pursuit, you will find constant joy. Look at this in Romans 14, 17. It talks about the kingdom of God. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's something that gets unleashed when we get the right thing right. Keeping Christ in the center place of our lives. We experience joy that it remains constant no matter the circumstances of our lives. If we're anchored in career and our career changes, we still have joy. Life is not zippity doodah. It's not moonbeams and rainbows. And so if we place our hope and we pursue those things that are offered by this life, we will find ourselves in moments of great crisis. Life has no favorites. And so when things are taken from us, when Christ is made the focus of our lives, we, it gives us perspective. Peace and joy remain. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This is written by the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Philippians that when he experienced life in Philippi, the city, He ended up being thrown in a dungeon and chained. And then he was found going, A mighty fortress is our God. Because even in his conditions, he had joy. Some of us need missionaries to reach our face. We have Christ in our heart, but we don't look like it. A mighty fortress. Is our God. We've lost this joy that can only be found in seeking Jesus. It's life-giving, folks. And there's a second life-giving truth. And that genuine love is greater than heartless sacrifice. Isn't that true? Have you ever been loved by someone in a half-hearted way? Or someone did something for you just simply out of obligation? Here. (laughs) Thanks. Appreciate that. God will not stand to have His glory shared with anyone else. Let's look at Israel's sin. He says in Amos chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, he says, Thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. 
God takes on these locations because they were the places of worship where the people of Israel were to make pilgrimage. It's where they were to go. Consider early colonials. They'd be traveling to Plymouth Rock to see where it all began. The problem was, was that Jeroboam I didn't want the people of the north traveling to Jerusalem to worship because he feared that they would end up giving their allegiance to that king. So he created places of worship in their own kingdom and he had a great plan. He goes, hey, let's make two golden calves and let's put them there because aren't they the ones who really took us out of Egypt? They had the idea that when they made pilgrimage there, they could still worship Yahweh as if he sat on top of the golden calf. God said, don't even try it. Don't even go. Genuine love is greater than heartless sacrifice. It's the greater sin when God's people turn God into a plural, pluralist form of something. When God's people view and they embrace an idea that I guess all roads must lead to God. And we should celebrate that ideal. No one comes to the Father except through me, said Jesus, the living Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And God will not stand His glory to be shared with someone else. He wants genuine love from His people. And we find genuine love when we seek Him. He isn't waiting for you to be better or to sin less frequently. He wants you to find your fulfillment and your love in Him. But when we gather together to worship, He wants our hearts and our joy. Not our leftovers. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. We know 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. (laughs) If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. When we bring God a legalistic approach to life and even into ministry, we grow no closer to him if there is not genuine love at the center of it all. Look at this. If I speak, if preachers proclaim, but there's not a genuine love, there's nothing. If I have prophetic powers and I, and I know the truth to speak into people's lives, but yet I'm not living that truth in my own, it's empty. If I have faith and can quote scripture, but have lost my passion for Christ, it gains nothing. It is the greater sin to be the people of God going through the motions than to be someone who doesn't know God doing what they can only do and what comes natural to them.
when we seek Jesus, man, we find genuine love. It gets rekindled within us, this whole desire to know and walk with God. We get a taste of what life was meant to be in the garden when we seek Him. That's why Jesus should be sought as our true hope. We will find that God has made evident these life-giving truths of constant joy and genuine love. Most of our messages were going to be anchored in these Old Testament prophets and the truths that relate to Christ. Many of the messages are going to be about how. So I just want to give you a couple of places to start. Hopefully there's something being moved within you to seek the Lord. I want to draw your attention to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's something that we need to do with our mind, a shift that needs to begin in our mindset that results in what we do. And I think Amos 5 gives us a clue that the first place we should start and rekindle is to seek Jesus with wonder. With wonder. God should not bore us. Amos 5.8 says that he made the Pleiades and Orion. He set every star in its place. Do you know in our hemisphere, we're able to see these exact constellations every night? I watch them when I take my dog out. Takes her a while. I need something to do. But you can look and you can see them. Right now, they're just hovering over Auburn. Have you lost your wonder? His fingerprints are everywhere. They're even all over you. Seek Jesus with wonder. Seek Jesus with sweat. You ever poured yourself out for someone else where it just exhausted you? When was the last time you exhausted yourself simply because you love them? Exhausted yourself even emotionally where you enter into someone else's pain. Have you done that recently? Where after that time is done, you're going... But yet something within you goes, man, that was worth it. Look at these guys on the screen. You see the joy? You see the sweat? Can you feel the heat of Central America? You see the mud? Our sweat... And our wonder are linked. Guys, this is, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. 
you need a wake-up call out of your sleepy Christianity, wonder and sweat will wake you up. And you'll find joy and genuine love. Start there. It's a dangerous thing to send a pastor an email. You never know when it'll show up on a weekend message. Listen to this. I'm excited about FBC. It seems like it is constantly growing. I'm excited for Topeka as well. I was driving to work in downtown Topeka that Monday after Easter Sunday, and I was stopped at the light right in front of TPAC. I happened to look over and saw the sign above that read, Services for All, or something like that. I smiled and thought, man, Pastor Joe really is trying to reach all of Topeka, and it's happening. Smiley face. Lawrence is good. I like that. Lawrence is good. (laughs) For a little while now, my drives to attend church at FBC had started to become less frequent. I found myself attending church online. And to those of you viewing online, welcome. We'd love to see you here sometime. It would be okay for a couple of weeks, and then I would just have this feeling like something was missing. I wanted to worship, but what could I give the Lord? I had to be there in person. So I started attending a church in Lawrence. I have recently been given the opportunity to co-facilitate and lead their college ministry for the summer. I'm excited. Something has hit me recently that has expanded my view of the church. It still seems a little fuzzy, but it's getting clearer. The church to me has gone from a place where you worship and learn about the Lord and his word to a body of people who represent Christ working together. I feel like I'm starting to understand better why I personally need the church and why the community and the world needs the church. You asked me on Friday about getting back into triathlons, workouts, etc. again. I've been trying to stay active, but nothing like before. The low energy stuff is still going on. Doctors haven't found anything wrong. I'm just currently taking a break. We'll see what happens. There may be times when I'm not the most happy about it, but I'm still joyful. Like I told you, Before I was baptized, I have found a true and constant joy like nothing I have ever felt before in the Lord. My life has been transformed and it was all worth it. No question. I look back to where I was and then to where I am now. And I feel so very blessed that the Lord has opened my eyes. I know that I still need to let go of my will. But he has been helping me and I have found myself in awe at the things that have happened. Now, I know I could have just read that and said, amen. But then that wouldn't have filled 30 minutes, you know. Don't we need renewed hope, people? Gosh, there's so much chasing after us, distracting us. We live in a great nation. But people's pursuit of happiness have often come at the expense of others. That's why slave owners relished in their wealth and their crops on the backs of others who they oppressed and stepped down. And that's why Martin Luther King 
used Amos 5 and he said, let justice roll down like a mighty river. Keep reading Amos 5. It's changed our nation. And God's word will change our lives because Jesus Christ is our true hope. Stay with us through this summer. You'll find joy in genuine love that's not circumstantial. It's concrete. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are a true and living hope. That when we seek you, we find that you are there the entire time. Thank you that when we seek after you, Lord, there's never shame. There's joy and love. So help us to respond. Forgive us, Lord, if we've lost our wonder. Forgive us if we've stopped exhausting ourselves, seeking after you and loving people. Rekindle this in us. That we may be filled with awe. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.